0: You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, company culture coach and founder of Liberty Mind. And I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations, thought leaders, and people about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. This season is sponsored by the Breathe Culture Pledge, a community of like-minded SMEs who are committed to building and maintaining a people-first culture. Whether you've got your company culture nailed or need a little guidance to improve it, joining the Breathe Culture Pledge gives you the recognition and resources you need to help your culture flourish. Plus, it's 100% free. Join over 700 SMEs And invest in your people today. Head over to breathehr.com forward slash culture pledge to find out more. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive. With the world of work feeling so shaken up recently, I hope this season is bringing you some new ways in which you can use the chaos as a force for good. If there's a topic you ever wish for me to explore in more depth, don't forget to drop me a message on social media, as I'm eager to make sure that these seasons are bringing you as much knowledge and support as possible. So if there's a topic that I haven't covered yet in any of these seasons, then please do drop me a message. And if you've just joined us, there are eight other seasons for you to go back and enjoy. Today I'm joined by Sophie Bryan, founder and chief workplace culture specialist at Ordinarily Different. Sophie is also an internationally recognised for her TEDx talks and recently launched her own podcast, Rebel Work. With over 20 years of award winning experience in HR and culture change, working with organisations globally, and even most recently doing a stint on BBC Radio 4 with David Mitchell. I have long desired for Sophie to join me on the podcast, and I'm so glad that I finally got to secure her for season nine. Of course, Sophie is a woman of many talents, and like all of us, she doesn't do just one thing. Sophie is also a career and life coach, as well as being a yoga teacher and nutritionist. I met Sophie through our love of workplace culture, that we have so many things in common. You're lucky this episode isn't a five-part series. Maybe that's to come in the future. Once we get talking, we just don't stop. And I have a huge admiration and respect for the work Sophie does, but also for the support and encouragement Sophie has shown me during my own career. She is truly a woman who helps other women rise. Just like mine and Sophie's real life conversations, today's episode is a ride through some of our biggest workplace challenges. We love nothing better than pulling apart what's being said about work and putting in our honest opinions as culture coaches. So, without giving too much away, let's get started. Hi, Sophie, and welcome to the Make It Thrive podcast.
1: Hi, Lizzie. Hey. <laughs>
0: I have been so looking forward to having you on, Sophie, because I think you've been on my guest list for so long. And now we've finally made it happen.
1: Yeah, we've had so many good conversations, Lizzie, that I think we definitely should have had captured on on record.
0: We should have done. There's so many snippets from our previous conversations where I thought I should have recorded that because we could have had so many good segments that people would have been really interested to hear, Um, especially our experiences of of working with different company cultures. Um, So for those of you who sort of, you know, are kind of listening to this at the moment and haven't perhaps watched your TED talk or um, been on your podcast Tell us a little bit more about how you got into this world, Sophie.
1: Oh, well, I guess the best place to start is when I was 17, which, secretively, between you and I, that was 20 years ago, um, and that was when I first started my career, and I remember being on a youth development trainee scheme, doing my being doing my NVQ Level 2 in business administration. David and I don't even know if they still exist now, and... <laughs> it being my first insight into work and of course being a young naive 17 year old i kind of thought this sucks right i i didn't understand why we was all confined to these big 1980s concrete buildings the world was passing us by outside and we were kind of confined to this desk this is your desk this is where you sit nine to five and even, you know, going out for lunch breaks, there would be the, the monitor who would be watching, you know, what time did Sophie go out for lunch? Oh, she was five minutes late. I hope you're going to stay back. You know, all of that going on at such a young age really, really painted a picture for me from the off of what the world of work was like. And I knew at that point that I wasn't in it for the long haul. I knew at 17 this sucked and at some point, I was going to start my own business and go my own way because this just wasn't. And I guess throughout the next 20 years, I was looking for that excuse to quit the workplace, to go, ah, oh, I've had enough. I need to escape. Um, But never really found the right time or the right topic or the right area of expertise. I was I was kind of building up my expertise to have enough experience, enough qualifications to then say, right, I can be. I could be an authentic leader in this space with a different viewpoint, and I can change the world with some of the things I have to say. So let's fast forward then, (laughs) 15 years from that moment, uh, where I'm in this fantastic role where I am a head of organisational development, absolutely loving my job. I'm in a space of creativity. I'm able to influence the workplace, 500 people in my organisation. Where I was creating new work, a new ethos for workplace culture, in a way that was really playful. We were using Lego for strategy days. We would have a real deep concentration on health and well being, and it wasn't just a you know, Lizzie, you and I have this thing about well being days. This was a theme yeah. throughout every day. And I just felt like I was really impacting learning. I was impacting people's experience at work. It was a fantastic role, really shifting the culture. And then I got promoted. Mm, mm, mm. And I took on the role of the director of workplace culture and HR. And I was back to being 17 again. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why am I Only it wasn't nine to five this time. It was sixty hours, seventy hour weeks. two hour commute each way. And I thought, right, this is now the tipping point. this I've seen enough of various different organizations in my career, different ways of behaving. I've seen enough now to say, right, this is what we should be doing in the workplace, and this is what we shouldn't be doing. And my own personal experience of how I got to that senior level and how it broke me, how it took away all my authenticity, how it took away my creativity, I thought, wow, if this is happening to me at this level, imagine what's happening to everyone else. Because that reverberates out, doesn't it? What you experience in the C-suite, you end up spreading out to everyone else. And so it was at that point, Lizzie, that I thought, right, enough's enough. Life is far too short and... I had seen in my career some horrific, you know, malpractice of how we deal with people. And I thought, no, now's the time. So five years ago, quit my job, started ordinary, Different. And uh, here I am today, (laughs) spreading the word of why we need to have more happier, healthier, productive and purposeful workplaces.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, there's, there's so much I can resonate with in that story that you've just shared and I, I feel it's really funny because I had a bit of a similar experience, but I don't think it happened. It, it happened for me much later on in mm. in life, so I'll never forget being driven to school, and this is such a vivid memory for me. And we were stuck in traffic, and we were always stuck in traffic because we lived a little bit further away from my school. And um, I I just remember looking at the way all the traffic was. And I just remember thinking, everyone looks like those little ant workers, like they're yeah. all just, the, yeah. just. The, and I was like, "And this is going to be my life forever. This is going to be get stuck in traffic." And I, and I remember having that, like, I don't want to be like this. Like, I don't want it to be like this. But it was never a conscious enough thought as a child to really understand what that meant. And it's funny, we we went out for dinner last night with some friends, and um, a friend of ours was saying how you know their their child was kind of looking at all the things that they were doing and like so do you have to do all of this like as an adult you know like and and they were like yeah and then and then they've just gone back to school and and then the first thing they said was I've got no playtime anymore like I think because they've gone up and they've reduced the playtime and they're just literally in front of a desk and I was like it happens at such a young age that we get conditioned into this way of working but it's so hard to kind of you know it becomes such a norm doesn't it and it's really hard even from a young age and I mean I didn't have that kind of epiphany moment until I was in my late 20s and I you know was made redundant and it was very much do I stay in a rat race career or do I take the plunge to start my own business and and yeah, it's it's but it, it it shouldn't have to be that way for everyone. Everyone shouldn't have to quit work in order to be fulfilled right. or feel free.
1: <laughs> no, work work should exist as a source of fulfillment. And I, I remember I can't yeah. remember the quote is 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 by now, but it's always stuck with me, is that you're not going to work, you're going to joy. Like mm. just just imagine what the world would be like, Lizzie. If actually we wasn't because we're conditioned, going back to what you were saying about being at school, seeing the ants kind of in their lemming like line, just tottering off, swiping in, (laughs) in they go, and the same again at five o'clock. Um, imagine what that would feel like for everybody if we didn't have this conditioning that work was hard, hard work, Mm -hmm. and actually we were stepping into joy every day. That feeling of rolling out of bed and going. I get to go to work today. I must, I have to, it's my calling. Like if I don't go, oh my God, I'm going to explode, which, you know, sounds really utopia, like, you know, (laughs) but actually there's no reason to stop us as human beings from getting to that point. Yeah. And I I think what we've done is we've created a society and, you know, my thoughts on this with education and then the way mm. we've then been condensed from education to be like this in the workplace, we've taken away play, hence why your mm. friend's child is like, oh, my God, it's all hard, it's all hard work now. Well, hang on. <laughs> why do we only get to play until we're nine? <laughs> right? Why is there a cutoff at nine years old and all of a sudden it's serious stuff? Um, mm. And we've taken away that sense of freedom as well and so we definitely need to get back into this space of work being a source of purpose and you yeah. can find purpose and meaning in any job yeah yeah it's just the way you've you've been conditioned to believe that work is a source of income which of course it is but there's so much more beyond that we give so much of our time away to this right It's not. Yeah, yeah,
0: we do. So,
1: you know, if you think you're spending, was it nearly two thirds of your life at work? Yeah. Do you want to look back on your life and go, yeah, I'm really pleased I spent 60 years working in a concrete jungle? Or do you want to go, I'm really pleased that I contributed to making a difference to X people, or I helped create this product, or the world is now the way it is because I contributed towards that? Completely different narrative.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is, definitely. And it's interesting as well, because you mentioned about that idea of that authentic leadership when you're talking about being in the C-suite. And I and I feel like this is such a female challenge in the workplace. And we see it so often where, you know, female leaders in power, even we, we sort of see at the moment that they have to almost change who they are in order to be taken seriously it's it's still occurring and someone said to me recently you know um I mean you know your your political preference aside they were like oh you should be really happy that there's women you know running for prime minister and I'm thinking not that kind of woman like I don't like I like regardless of the politics like regardless of the party I want an authentic woman who actually can relate to the experiences of women not who has to pretend to be a man to To be a female leader, it's just, and I feel like that really happens so much in the workplace still.
1: So my my experience, funnily enough, was working alongside a female chief executive who actually was very inspiring to me at that moment in time. At that moment in time, I was really like, wow. Not so much. Not so much. As I've grown, I've now realised I've got a different source and direction of inspiration. But at that moment in time, but the. the Bigger thing for me, Lizzie, was the way our roles are created. In that, I was in this space of being a sunshine yellow, very expressive, extroverted. Loved being at the front of the room, teaching people, giving people information, which is why I loved, you know, speaking at our conferences, getting people up and moving, getting people dance. You know, I was a very, very um, expressive, energetic space. So for those of you that understand communication styles, I was a yellow expressive through and through. What happened when I stepped into that director's job, whilst all the promise was there, and I was, no, 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 it's still the exact same thing. It's just, we want you to have that level of recognition. And we just need you to add on a few little extra bolts. What happened was I got moved from being a yellow into a blue. And a blue is someone who's very analytical, very detail oriented somebody who's slightly more introverted you spend more time sat at your desk analyzing a spreadsheet than what you do having any interaction with human beings and that's what broke my soul was because we 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 don't do in the workplace is we don't look at people's strengths and say okay how is this the reason i was promoted how is that going to be an asset for us in this new, what can she bring to the C-suite? What is it we haven't got going on that Sophie mm-hmm. can bring a new energy, a new lightness, a new um, a new focus to? That wasn't the case. It was come and pick up the, the same as everyone else and come be like me because everyone else in that particular space was in this detail-oriented, loved the spreadsheets, loved the data. And I was like, this, this isn't me. So after... Well, I was only in the role for about even less than a year, but I ended up going off sick because there was such a tear between who I was naturally, this yellow expressive, and who I was being asked to be. There was nothing wrong with the organisation. There was not all the the setup of it. I'd make sure of that, Lizzie, because I'd done all the culture work, right? But that one piece around trying to fit me into something that I wasn't, was really really hard for me and I think that's also another layer on top of the female leader discussion that you were having there's also this bit around okay well what is unique about me irrespective of me being a woman what's unique about my energy and actually how can we how can we really take that and harness it rather than squash it diminish it and make me like everyone else so yeah. I think there's a real thing in the workplace. There's is, there is absolutely a conversation that needs to happen around authenticity mm. and a discussion that needs to happen around, around strengths as well, because yeah. we are so keen to need out everyone's weaknesses, right? And that's what we focus our yeah. like L&D yeah. on, which is, which again yeah. I managed to <laughs> switch that in my organisation, but, you know, we have our our monthly appraisals, we have our yearly appraisals, six monthly appraisals, however often they happen those happen. And we're always being asked to talk about okay, so what do you think you need to improve on? What do you think's your weakness? Oh well you know you're not very good at pivot tables so if you well let's see your next spreadsheet because <laughs> And I'm thinking but why why would you want to do that to me when quite clearly I'm the spokesperson. I'm the teacher I'm the influencer. You want me out the front not behind. Let the people whose skills sit there shine and let me shine. Don't let's try, because I've seen it work the same way, again in the C-suite, yeah. where there were lots of blue analyticals and they were always being called upon in board meetings to deliver presentations. Mm. And the amount of, you'd sit there and you literally your eyes would be like, oh my gosh, I'm falling asleep, like someone kicked me under the table. That's not their fault that's not yeah, their fault yeah. at all you're asking you're asking them to be one personality and then you're asking them to be the other and we have an expectation yeah. in the workplace that we're the full package
0: Yeah, and we're not
1: we're only who we are so i think there's definitely something around that in terms of authenticity as well above and beyond this this piece around the female leadership i think it definitely applies to everybody lizzie around really owning who you are and multiplying that and those skills rather than constantly trying to correct the things that we lack. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think it goes back to so much this kind of very mechanistic approach that we still have to businesses. Like, you are a cog and you're going to fit in this box, like this. So we're always trying to find people to fit into Mm. a certain way of doing things or what that expectation is rather than really looking for you know I know I know that we've always discussed this about this idea that we are multifaceted human beings with lots of skills and interests and attributes but we can only we're only allowed to bring one percent of that to work we're not allowed to bring our whole selves Mm -hmm. to work all of it and it's almost like we're, we're just depleting people before they've even walked through the door. It's, it's like, no, you, you're just here for this, this macro piece that we need you to do. We, we don't really want the rest of you, thanks.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally bizarre. And actually, we don't realise how much talent and skill we're leaving on the table, which is why I love organisations like Zappos, for example, the shoe retailer out in the US, who interview people, yeah, bring them through their recruitment, which, I mean, even that, I mean, I could talk for hours just on how they go about doing <laughs> that, because it's, right. it's the most beautiful, unconventional way of doing things I just adore. Um, but they don't have jobs, that they don't have a set job in mind for someone. They would just think, do you know what? Yeah. That person's got Zappos energy. That person yeah. fits with our people-centric, customer-centric culture, come in and be part of our organisation. And where they end up, who knows? But they oh, see yeah. that, they see that talent, they see that willingness and they go, Yeah, you're one of our people, come join us. Which I'm sure, you know, many people listening to your podcast is like, Yeah, but that's that's not um, practical, especially in this day and age. Right now we're in a downturn, people have been redundant. How is it we can't just go recruiting people and going, mm, I haven't got a job for you, but you're fitting somewhere. Right. Well, if that doesn't work, tell me how Zappos have become one of the biggest retailers in the world when it comes to shoes. And there's multiple organisations like this that do it that way. Netflix was similar. So there's something to be said about capturing the essence of someone and just going, you're my kind of person or you've got something special that we don't have at the minute. I don't know how we're going to harness this, but come be part of the conversation. Come co-create and collaborate with us. That's what the recruitment conversation should be. And that's what our cultural conversation should be. Not, I've designed a person specification and job specification. And what we need is X, Y, and Z. And then you have to make sure you jump through every hoop to meet that. And then that's exactly what you must do within the confines of your job. You You don't sway from that. Don't give any initiative because that's 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 you're completely overstepping the mark there. And I've had that, and I'm sure you've probably had that too in your experience, Lizzie. Where yeah. you've gone, well, I know this isn't my job, but I see this going on, or I hear this, or I've got an idea, and you're just put back in your box. Like, no, 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 don't yeah. worry about that. That's Sharon's job. No, no, don't worry. Karen, <laughs> Karen will deal with that, or John's got it under control, and you think, okay, I will just I'll stay small then. I'll stay small. And then that's when you do become that lemming, <laughs> the ant. That's do you know what? And that's, again, this brings me onto a, a different subject, I guess, but this this quiet quitting. That's when you mm, get that arising, yeah. when do you know what? I'm just going to turn up, do my bare minimum and go home again. But can I say something on that, Lizzie? Yeah, go I, for it. it yeah, Absolutely. God, yeah, absolutely. This whole quiet quitting business, right, that someone's labelled it and now it's a thing, right? It's (laughs) a bit like hybrid working. Someone labelled it hybrid working and now it's a thing, right? But quiet quitting, hybrid working, all these buzzwords have been going on for years, right? Yeah. if you think back to the Gallup poll in 2017, where they said only 8% of people are fully engaged at work, right so you've got you've got some of that remaining 92 percent and I can't remember the stats now but some I think it's um 19 percent of people are fully disengaged at work right nearly 20 percent right that's your quiet quitters Gallup Poll knew this 2017 and yeah. we have been, you know, in our communities, Lizzie. We have been talking about this and talking yes. Do you know what? It's not a workplace right. culture discussion if the Gallup poll doesn't come up, right? <laughs> You're like, hang on a minute, was that really a culture discussion? No one said Gallup. So, <laughs> so we've been saying this for years, five years, nearly
0: uh, uh, six yeah. years
1: since this piece of research came out, and I dare say um, Gallup's kind of renewal of that is going to be even bigger. Right, so quiet quitting has always been there, and organizations, even knowing that these statistics were here, were quite happy to accept that 20% of their workforce, quite frankly, don't give a shit. Right, and they're turning up literally just sat at their desk, and because of your metrics of how you measure performance, they were ticking that box because they were present. Yeah, and now all of that is starting to unravel. And it's now revealing, actually, <laughs> someone say the other day, we've got a productivity, a productivity epidemic on our hands. Oh and I was no. like, that's always been the case. This yeah, has not yeah. been, this has not, yes, it's been compounded by COVID, but it's always been there. We've always had a productivity crisis in that Gallup added up, you know, did a, did a massive amount of research on this and said 24 billion pounds is being lost into the UK economy through loss of productivity from those statistics, Mm. from only 8% of people being in what you and I were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, being in purpose, being in flow, Mm. loving their job, being in a space of strength, being in a space of authenticity. That is 8% and that is shocking. So no wonder why £24 billion is being lost to our economy. Imagine what that looks like now. Yeah. yeah, but they weren't prepared to hear it's... it back then, and now all of a sudden we've got a buzzword for it. Everyone's up in arms. So I think, really, Lizzie, our job as you know workplace culture, <laughs> is to create a load of really meaningless buzzwords, <laughs> listen, and then we might just find we end up the of workplace, workplace culture.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so true, though, isn't it? You know, it's. I remember people saying to me. You know, when I started the business years ago, um, it was it was an uphill struggle because and I still think there is a massive education piece to do on workplace culture Mm. and and changing the ways of working. There's a huge education piece that needs to go on. And I remember, you know, pre-pandemic, it was an uphill struggle because people just didn't get it. They didn't get culture. They didn't get really what what they were doing Um, and I always joke that people used to mistake me for just being like a social events (laughs) organiser like I'm just gonna come in and organise like you know your fun days out I'm like no that is not what I do Um, and then there's been such a shift sort of post-pandemic because I feel like for those that didn't get culture the cracks have really opened in terms of everything and you know they're blaming it on different things which is really infuriating I mean I'm sure you probably get the same you know where people are kind of like oh well it's because we're remote now and it's like no it's not because you're remote Mm -hmm. like they just now want to kind of find another scapegoat for the reason their culture isn't right and I'm like no it's because you're not doing the work it's not because of your remote it's not because of this it's it you know blaming it on this it's because you didn't do the work you, you're you not doing the work um and it's yeah it's so infuriating like you say you know now everyone's kind of blaming remote working and I, I see all these news features that you know forcing people back into the workplace or you know, like, like I said, the productivity Mm. epidemic. I mean, I was absolutely disgusted by there was a quote by one of the, you know, politicians saying that we, we are lazy (laughs) workers. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, I am just, if that's what people are saying at the very top of our UK government, I mean, no wonder we are having an uphill struggle with, you know, even leaders Mm. in businesses. Um,
1: you have, you've, Lifted the box off of Pandora right now. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm literally I'm jumping up and down in my seat right now. There's so much to say about this, and I think the first thing to go back to everyone saying, you know, around look, look at what COVID's done to our culture. You know, all these different cracks that are now emerging, and we're blaming it on COVID. We're blaming it on home working. My mantra has always been every single problem. That you have in your organisation is down to your culture. Honestly, you could throw anything at me and say, right, well, financially, we're we're about to hit rock bottom. Right. Well, that's also down to your culture. Because if you had people in your organisation that had the freedom and the engagement and the willingness to innovate, maybe that wouldn't be a problem now. Maybe if you had a culture where people really cared about your organisation and made sensible financial decisions, maybe that would be a problem right now. And if the customer is withdrawing from your product, which is why, then you haven't worked hard enough on your customer experience and you haven't worked hard enough on your product. That's down to your culture. You haven't created this culture where people can tell you what's wrong, can tell you what they're seeing. Your people knew you were going into financial disarray well before you did, right? Yeah. So, and I can't, there's, again, I've got some more statistics for you on this. And there's a guy called Andy Vale who did this amazing drawing of an iceberg, iceberg of ignorance. I think he drew it for the corporate rebels. And ever since I saw it, it's kind of imprinted on my head. And it says, um, in the very top suite, the C-suite, you see 4% of the problems. And then as you kind of go down the tier, it gets slightly bigger, slightly bigger, until you get to the bottom of the iceberg where it says 100% of your people see 100% of the problems, right? You think, well, hang on, look at, look at the space here. If you in your organisation haven't created a lesser gap between the top and the bottom, so you've got this cost, cross-functional discussion going on where your people are feeding up and you are feeding down, and it's this constant stream of information then no wonder you're now in a space where you have all these problems. So that for me is the first thing. Secondly, I was asked to comment on a press release a few weeks ago around a piece of research that had been done where a third of managers were saying that um homeworking is to blame for loss of productivity. That, that they believe their staff are working less. Basically, going back to that politician's quote on, you know, we're lazy workers, right? And they're all blaming it on working from home. And I mean, mean, Lizzie, we could make a whole podcast episode out. (laughs) (laughs) But my my commentary back to this article was, hang on just a second. There's two big factors, many factors, but two big ones. For the sake of your podcast being, you know, not five hours long, let's just go for two here. The first thing is, if you think we've got a productivity ep- epidemic, we've also got a meetings epidemic, right? Right? That's the, that's the real yeah. crux of the problem here, is that people are spending so much longer in meetings that they haven't got time to do the doing because everyone wants to make sure, oh, is everyone all joined up? Does Lizzie know what? I'm going to get? jump on a call with Lizzie. Oh, if I need to speak to Lizzie, why not invite, invite John and Kumar? Everyone else starts joining the call. And before you know it, your diary is just back-to-back meetings. Back-to-back, back-to-back, back-to-back. And so much of my work recently has been around helping organisations break this meetings culture. Actually, yeah. I don't know about you, Lizzie, but I find um, your meetings culture is a real big detector of what your overall organisational culture is. I yeah. I love doing the meetings work because I don't have to know anything else about your organisation. What I see yeah. in this meeting space tells me everything. Are you command and control? Yeah. Are you laissez-faire? Do you trust your people? Don't you? Like, so much yeah. comes out yeah, of that. Yeah. So, The productivity crisis and that people aren't being productive and let's blame it on homeworking. It's not that at all. It's micromanagement and this incessant amount of work that's going into meetings. So that's the second thing. And the third thing, my blood, even when you said that quote about (laughs) lazy workers, just makes my toes curl, makes me want to scream because... What has been completely forgotten, and I'm seeing this more and more now as we are, are emerging further away from the start of the COVID pandemic, is that we honestly think we've gone back to normal. Mm, yeah. we, honestly, we, on, we honestly think that, and not only that, we've upped it a bit, right? Yeah. Now, there are some people that have coasted through covid and had quite a pleasurable experience i am actually one of those people my business doubles during this amount of time i've had some amazing work amazing clients i've had my daughter at home it's been wonderful but i'm not naive enough to think that my experience is representative of everybody else's because for absolute fact it is not People mm. have lost loved ones. People have developed serious illnesses because either they've had complications with COVID or they've not been able to access healthcare in the way we were pre-COVID and therefore these health conditions have exasperated. I know so many people in my clients' organisations that are currently in a deep state of bereavement, having mm. lost co-workers, having lost family mm. members my auntie who lives by herself oh my gosh she said something to me a little while back and she went you know during lockdown i went 9 months without a single person touching me can you can you like can you imagine
0: right yeah like, that's um, yeah that's just literally the same
1: oh. i was having my shopping delivered so i didn't even have that casual brush past my arm where someone knocked their shopping choice. i didn't have any human touch for nine months can you can you imagine how that for people that whether it was nine months even a week for some people that is too long can you imagine how that must have felt for people and irrespective of whether we've experienced bereavement loneliness irrespective of whether we've had any indication of um, mental unwellness this has shaken us to our core Right. Mm. And really, in that shaking process, something should have dropped out. (laughs) You know, we should have shaken off some. We should have done a bit of a life check and a culture check and gone. Right. What is going to serve us moving forward? And how do we bring all this injury, this hurt, this mental unwellness, these scars that our people are now carrying these past two years? How do we bring them along with us? So that idiot, and I will just say it like that, who turned around and said, we're just not hard workers, hang on. We've kept this country going, irrespective of that bereavement, that hurt, that mental health, that loneliness. We've all been showing up for work, given the very best we can, and you've got the audacity to say that? And so that, that, that makes me realize actually Lizzie the absolute importance of the work we do because people like us have got to stand up for this shit yeah yeah because otherwise it then just gets exasperated by the media and then we end up getting labeled you know as a lazy country and then actually it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and actually if you think we're lazy right well I'll show you lazy then if that's what you think we are (laughs) and you know it's no wonder we've now got strikes happening because people yeah, are yeah. feeling so, you know, so untaken care of, oh, unwell, yeah, no unwell regarded, yeah. unwell recognized. You know, so, hang, yeah. like, if you really think we're a nation of laziness, just you wait till we all pull out the stops. Yeah, <laughs> because we could have yeah. quite easily have done that and retreated during COVID, and we didn't. We kept on going. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love that.
0: Thank you so much for standing on your soapbox, Sophie. That was that was amazing. Just be careful and I, what I, flames oh. you light
1: underneath because <laughs> yeah. I, I would just go.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, there's so much that, and, and and like you said, we could probably sit here and talk for about five hours <laughs> about these topics. You yeah. and I. so I wanted to inject a bit of fun into this season Mm. Sophie so I was wondering if you're up for a bit of a quick fire round I mean it's not that quick but you you get the gist it's a bit of fun. fun. (laughs) amazing so the first question is a song or playlist that makes you instantly feel good
1: oh okay so an instant an instant cheesy one came to mind and I'm not sure if I should say it because it may well ruin my brand brand reputation my friendship with you Lizzie (laughs) (laughs) um okay so I was I was brought up around kind of late 80s 90s like rock music right yeah Uh, a little bit of Billy Joel thrown in there but you know Bon Jovi was (laughs) kind of the big rock of my upbringing and so the song that will always motivate me almost gets me so engaged and buzzy I almost have tears in my eyes is a it's my life by Bon Jovi but I've seen Bon Jovi (laughs) I shouldn't say this live five times <laughs> <laughs> and it's that moment in the crowd where everyone is just oh. claiming their life for their own and I almost feel like it's an anthem for this age uh, yeah it really is our lives it's now or never right
0: yeah yeah definitely oh my gosh love yeah. that love that truth <laughs> I'm gonna have to listen to that today now <laughs> Sophie that's what you've inspired me The next one is a book or podcast that changed your life.
1: Oh, okay. It's on my bookshelf right now. (laughs) It's a book called Big Magic by Liz Gilbert.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Such, such a profound book. So those of you who don't know Liz Gilbert, you will probably know her from the film Eat, Pray, Love. She wrote the book Mm. Eat, Pray, Love. And so you really get a bit of a gist if you've seen that film where – Liz has a very very humanistic down-to-earth experience of what it is to be alive. And in this mm. book, Big Magic, she talks about create the power of creativity and how yeah. we often have these little seeds, little gems of ideas and she she calls them bubbles, right? And they come and sit yeah. in our in our energetic space and they're there teasing yeah. us like do something with me, yeah. do something with me. And yeah, yeah. if we don't, that bubble floats off and it lands in front of someone else. And she tells yeah, the story yeah. in the book around how she wrote a piece of music when she was about 19 years old. And she played it for family. She even like recorded it, right? So she had it on like a, I don't even know, back then it would have been cassette or perhaps some other means, but she has it recorded. And then fast forward a couple of years later, um, Paul McCartney writes this song, and riff for riff, it's exactly the same as the piece of music she wrote. Oh my! God. And I and I think about this in so many other circumstances, where even on social media, Lizzie, you might get this, where you're like, "That's what I was going to say. That was my concept. How was anyone else for that?" And and she just, so she just talks about the power of this, this big magic now yeah. in front of us, and it's a calling. It's a calling to act on that idea because if you don't, that energy, that idea is going to go and land in front of someone else. And for all you know, that could be Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're going to be kicking yourself because Elon Musk is doing the thing that you have that seed of an idea for. And that has always resonated with me to make sure that when I have that big keeping me awake idea, I always take some action to claim it, even if I don't birth the whole thing. Take some action to claim that as, yes, I've heard you, I've seen you, I want you as this idea, I want you to be part of my life, my mission, my purpose. Just one small action is all it takes to claim it. But if you don't, off it goes. Yeah, that's my favourite.
0: Oh, me too. This is so, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all because we're, we're so alike in so many ways. But honestly, that book, I've read it twice. I've yeah. I, li- I listen to the audio. I've got the audio version. So sometimes I dip mm. in and out of it when I'm on my walk just because, like you say, and I am quite, uh, you know me, I'm a bit woo-woo at times as yeah. well, but, you know, spiritual, yeah, yeah. so Universe, I'm very, you know, like got got my crystals and all that. People are probably like, "Oh my gosh, Lizzie," Um, but but really, (laughs) you know, I can't
1: see the camera. I'm holding up my crystals
0: at Lizzie, but it's just so true. And and she has this beautiful way of, you know, really helping people connect to that deep Mm. inner creativity Mm. as well. And she has this idea that you know the universe has buried these strange jewels within Mm. us. And it's our job to kind of try and find them. And I I love it. And that's the hunt is creative living. And I just absolutely, oh my gosh, yeah. So you resonate with that. The next question, Sophie, before I get totally off on a tangent about Elizabeth Gilbert, (laughs) is the best advice you've ever been given?
1: The best advice I have ever been given. Okay, I guess there's two answers to this one. So when I was stuck in my director's role and I was like, I don't I just don't know how to navigate this. Like my husband mm. had quit his job so that I was the sole earner so that I could go pursue, you know, this this career goal of which it was. like that was my dream was to get to this level and then, you know, quit start business. And I just remember a really good friend of mine. All she said to me was just quit which it doesn't sound profound. And perhaps for many of you listening to this podcast will think, well, yes, so surely that was obvious. Right. But someone giving me that permission. Mm, Like it, it was like, just quit. Like it was, it was, it it was like, I don't know why I hadn't heard that in my own internal dialogue before that. Just quit. Like if it's not serving you, we've got this, this way of working that is just push through it, push through it. Yeah. Push through it. If it's your, your soul calling your mission like yes totally if you've set that goal to cross that marathon finish line and you are one kilometer yeah. away hell yes you push through it you don't quit right but when something's destroying you and you can't see that line of sight that that just quit was just like whoa mm. um And then I guess the follow-up to that was it's not what someone said to me, but it's a quote that's emblazoned on the wall in my gym. And it says, it's never too late to become the person who you might have been. Mm. And after I quit, that was then my next stage of empowerment of like, shit, I literally can become whoever the hell I want to be now. Yeah. because I've shaken off those shackles and again it was like the gym was giving me permission to be like right so now go chase your dreams that was one chapter huge learning yeah. thank you so much for that But now is a new stage and so yeah I kind of used the two I guess in combination mm-hmm. yeah
0: love that love that so much oh yes and that leads me on to the next one about bucket list item what's one thing you haven't ticked off yet uh that you want to on your bucket list? Oh,
1: gosh, the bucket list is so big, Lizzie. It's so big. It's like, oh, if you were like a genius me one wish, I literally don't know which one I would pull out the bag. Um, you'd be the person going, can I have 100 more yeah, wishes? Yeah, literally, I think I would need 100 more. Okay, so I am incredibly focused in my business, and so this is a big, like, bucket list gold of mine that it's not so much oh I can just go and tick it off it's more of I've got to really work to make this happen but um I just have this this dream of filling an arena
0: I have this dream of
1: filling an arena like 10,000 people I don't even care if it's 100,000 people you know I'm yellow like it doesn't bother me a conversation (laughs) of 10,000 and just sharing what I have learned and you know the same wisdom you and I both have Lizzie and actually bringing in the whole more spiritual aspect of it you know I'm I'm a yoga teacher on the side I'm a nutritionist on the side bringing in this whole concept of what it is to be a human being seeking purpose seeking meaning in their lives and Mm -hmm. what that translates to in the workplace and if we take it from that perspective what that translates to into workplace culture bucket this thing is I just have this manifestation of standing on this stage that. and empowering I can see empowering it. all these people to go just quit you know? <laughs> and it's never too late to be the person you've always wanted to be like just go do yeah. that and yeah which again I know there'll be some people here thinking yeah well so if in this day and age that's not easy <laughs> session, blah, blah do you know what if you want it badly enough you're bloody well making it Yes, yeah. yeah, so I guess. Yeah. I guess that's a bit of a silly bucket list thing, really.
0: No, I, I love it. No, no, I love it. I
1: won't. I will I not myself. rest until that's. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it.
0: I can see it happening, Sophie. Totally. A hundred percent. I can absolutely. You'll be in the
1: front row, Lizzie.
0: I will. i be like, woo! I'll be there with my sign. You're everything with me. <laughs> Oh, that leads me on to even be more beautifully onto the last quick fire question if you could create a placard for a public protest what would it be what would be oh, your mantra oh, so that...
1: um so obviously i'm gonna to have to be really prompt with how i explain this but you know how, you know how <laughs> i feel about the education system is those of you that yes, don't if you haven't exactly. listened to my ted talk That will give you you an education, how I feel about it. Um, I'm very pro um, Montessori, Montessori form of education, and how I honestly think that if we educate children, the whole premise of Montessori is education-free peace. And if we educate children-free peace, as well as freedom, curiosity and play, then as adults, they become a lot more respectful of the world, a lot more respectful of each other, And they're a lot more authentic to themselves because they've got freedom, they've got curiosity and they've got play. We then parent, they then parent in that way, which then means they're then the children inheriting that. And then when they come into the workplace, just the magic. A a Montessori workplace for me is just phenomenal. So my placard would be outside the front of the Department for Education. (laughs) Like the biggest placard, you know, think about one of those bands that drive around with their loud halos. You know, I'm thinking that that's, it's not on a like a sandwich board, we're going massive. And it really it is, I don't even know what the slogan is, but it is asking the DFE to take a really good hard look at itself because. What we are doing with education right now is we are not nurturing, we are not growing, we are not building skills for the future, we are harming our children, because we're Mm. still teaching them in the same way we were taught in the Victorian era, where when you look at how quickly technology is advancing, there is no place for those types of techniques and tools in the workplace, it's just obsolete. Um, And you'll know, Lizzie, you know, as a step parent, and me with my daughter, that we see this day in day out what they're coming home and they're learning and we know what the future of work looks like and there is such a big mismatch between it so I'm not sure what would be on there I can probably tell you there'd be quite a few swear words I'm a little (laughs) bit potty mouth when I'm passionate Um, but it would be a call to the DFE to go look we're talking about productivity crisis right now. We're talking about hybrid work and being the problem and thinking we have got much bigger issues coming our way and it starts yeah, with them. 100%. It absolutely starts yeah, it with is. them. They're accountable for this. No one else. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Sophie. You have been so inspirational and your energy has been set. So, I mean, I've I loved absorbing <laughs> yeah. everything that you say. I always feel so energized after our chats anyway. So I'm sure you would have also resonated oh, totally, to our audience. Yeah. But for those of you for those of you listening who are interested in Sophie's work, all of um, Sophie's links are in the show notes. So definitely go and check out her TED Talk. It is incredibly inspiring. And obviously her work are ordinarily different. Um, and also your Rebel podcast as well, Sophie, that you've recently launched. So that's definitely worth a listen. But thank you so, so much for joining me today. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Lizzie. Thank you so much.